the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Peter Creek, we honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged with this week's message from Pastor Kelly Baldridge. ultimately to live in this world and in this life, either focused on worldly things, on our goods and kindred and possessions, or to let those things go and focus upon God. And so Solomon has pursued both, hasn't he? And in this book, he in particularly pursues that of the world. And even though he has done this so far in Ecclesiastes, there are moments where life under the sun gives way to life above the sun. And that is the case today. The preacher calls this world-centered approach to living that very phrase, life under the sun. It's a secular way of living. It's living life in a way apart from God. That is the language we've been using. That is there any meaning, is there any purpose in life apart from God? And we would say, no. There is no meaning. There is no purpose apart from God. And so the book is full of this kind of living. But rather than chasing after a pessimism that would make Eeyore jealous, the preacher is here to highlight a better way to live. And so those small glimpses of life above the sun actually are highlighted by all of the surrounding life under the sun. And so today in verses 18 and 19, the preacher would tell us why work doesn't bring satisfaction. And then in verses 20 through 23, he tells us why this work brings satisfaction only despair. And then in verses 24 through 26, we'll see how to have meaningful, hopeful work under the sun even. And so let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his word. Most gracious Father, we come before you and before your word in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we come, we are a thankful people for your word is true. And you tell us in your word, the truth will set us free. And so, Father, we ask to be set free today. That the truth will permeate our hearts and our minds and our souls. Helping us to long for you, for your love, for your grace helping us to find it in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask, O God, that you would speak to us by your word and through your spirit. For it's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 26. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? 
Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we're speaking about work. And so I'll give you a couple songs today. We dig, 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 dig in a mine the whole day through. To dig, 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 dig is what we like to do. It ain't no trick to get rich quick if you dig, dig, dig with a shovel or a pick in a mine, in a mine, in a mine, in a mine, where a million diamonds shine. We dig, 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 dig from early morn to night. We dig, 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 dig up everything in sight. We dig up diamonds by the score, a thousand rubies, sometimes more. We don't know what we dig them for. We dig, 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 dig. Hi-ho, hi-ho. Hi-ho, hi-ho, hi-ho. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's home from work we go. Well, you know that one, don't you? Maybe you know this one. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition. Yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the street, the traffic starts jumping with folks like me on the job from nine to five. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living. Barely getting by, it's all taken and no given. They just use your mind and they never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy if you let it. Nine to five for service and devotion. You would think that I would deserve a fat promotion. Want to move ahead, but the boss won't seem to let me. I swear sometimes that man is out to get me. They let you dream just to watch them shatter. You're just a step on the boss man's ladder. But you got dreams they'll never take away. You're in the same boat with a lot of your friends, waiting for the day your ship will come in and the tide's gonna run and it's all gonna roll your way. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living. That sounds familiar to me. That's Ecclesiastes chapter two. Even though Solomon didn't have a boss, he was the boss, wasn't he? But there is a sense where we understand what it is that 
we have a dream and we use our mind and we work and we never get the credit. It seems as if we work and we toil and we strive and yet it amounts to nothing. And Solomon helps us on his journey to show us that work itself is not a place where we can find purpose and meaning apart from God. Oftentimes in our lives, we use work. We use work to distract ourselves. We use work to distract ourselves from the problems at home. We use work to distract ourselves uh, from the struggles we're facing in our health. We use work to distract ourselves from many things, perhaps even what is coming, even death itself. And so it is that there is this sense of work and its meaninglessness. There is this sense of work and its frustration. Now, we want to say something, though, because work itself is not something that is in and of itself bad. In fact, when was man created to work? Or when was man told to work? Ah, before the fall. If you go back into Genesis, work was not a punishment given from God to man for eating of the fruit of the forbidden tree, but rather work was given to him and to his wife as something to enjoy and something to do. But yet sin enters into the world and then work becomes a curse. It becomes what we can call and what Ecclesiastes calls toil. Work, toil. And so this toil, this work that Solomon mentions here, he helps us to understand that it is purposeless, that east of Eden and apart from God, work does not bring purpose. Work does not bring purpose. So that's where we're at today. It's what we're considering And first, as we consider this in verses 18 and 19, we see that there's no purpose where there's no satisfaction. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. A job completed typically brings us a little bit of satisfaction. Take, for instance, one of those projects that you have at your home. Well, you, you get the tools, you get the resources to, to get the equipment that you need to use. You work, you work, and you work, and then one day you're finally able to hang that picture on the wall as a completed project. But then a few days later, or a few weeks later, or a few months later, perhaps at the most, your spouse looks at you and says, I don't know if I like it there. I, I don't know if I like this this way. Maybe we should do something different. Maybe we should change this or we should change that. And so we've worked and we've worked and we've worked and there was a bit of satisfaction for a moment, but then it fades away. And so though at one time we sat down, we took a drink and said, ah, we were satisfied that satisfaction leaves us. Can we change this? Now, that's not complete satisfaction. Take, for instance, something that I found in Mississippi. In fact, in Lorman, Mississippi, there was the Windsor Estate. Uh, It's a place that you can visit. 
It was the largest antebellum Greek revival mansion ever built in Mississippi. It stood for nearly 30 years. It had three stories. It had 23 to 25 rooms, and each room had their own fireplace, which was pretty unique at the time. It was 17,000 square foot, and at the time it cost $175,000, which today would be an estimated $5 million to complete. It was something to behold. Now, there's a picture of it that was drawn by a Union soldier, and that's all that's left of what it actually looked like. Because Smith Daniel, who uh, paid and built the house, it was his house, it was built for him, and while there were uh, people working on it, of course, there, was, there were slaves who worked on it, there were those from Europe who came in and worked on it. There were parts that were brought in from St. Louis and in the north. And so it was something to behold. Smith Daniel looks at his house, satisfied. A few weeks later, what happens? He dies. And then 30 years into the future, his children may enjoy it for a while. But then 30 years into the future, a guest of the house, because it often was used to accommodate guests as well, was smoking a cigarette or a cigar and emptied the ashes, and they happened to fall in some remodeling construction debris, and the house goes up in flames. And the only thing that is left of Windsor Estate are now the Windsor ruins. 23 columns built like Greek architecture. It's a sight to behold because it shows us that all of our toil and all of our efforts and all of our work, well, there's no purpose in it when there's no satisfaction. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter two, Solomon has this experience. He works and he works and he works, and yet he can't get no satisfaction. Sorry, I had to throw it in there. But the preacher tells us why there's no satisfaction in our work apart from God. First, everything that we do has to be left to a successor. Everything that we do here on earth is going to be left to someone. There is nothing that we can take with us. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses. It's not possible. And so it is. One of the problems of finding satisfaction in our work and our toil is the truth that it won't be ours for long. Well, secondly, there's no guarantee that the one who follows will be wise. Solomon asked, who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Perhaps Solomon now is speaking of his own son, Rehoboam. We'll mention that in a little bit as well. There's no guarantee that the one who comes after us will make wise decisions as we made. There's no guarantee that one who comes after us will, will do what is right by us and right by our efforts and our work. And then thirdly, even a foolish inheritor will have control over what is left. It says in verse 19, he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. So whether you say, I'm going to leave this for this purpose, oh, you won't be here to see if it is fulfilled or not. So where there's no satisfaction, there's no purpose. 
The preacher is making us think beyond the immediate success of life and the profit of our labors. He's helping us to see beyond, just as he already did in chapter two, speaking of death and warning us of what is to come, that the fool and the wise both die. And so it is that the one who is successful and the one who is not so successful both die. And what we have or what little we have is left to another. And so apart from God, all of your toys, all of your gains, all of your profit will leave you unsatisfied. Well, that's the first point. Secondly, there's no purpose and only despair. So no satisfaction and despair. Verse 20, he speaks of this despair. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. See, work is not only physical. Yes, there's physical labor for us, but work is also mental. It requires our mind. We use our mind to create. We use our mind to to build. It is emotional. It, It takes all of us. It is from the heart. It is effectual. It's not only a work that is physical and we can say, look, I've done this, I've completed this task, but there is work that is all of our emotions, all of our body, all of our soul, all of our our spirit, all of our affections. And so for Solomon, this despair was ultimately the loss of hope. All that he had gained, all that he had accomplished, all that he had built up, will be gone. So what hope does he have? What hope do you have? What hope do I have? And so here's how he describes it. Though we have been wise, there's no guarantee it will be left to someone who is wise. He's already mentioned this, but he he reiterates this. He says, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. There's no guarantee that it will be left to anyone who has the capacity or half the capacity that you had. So Solomon, who was great, is saying, those of you who think you're great, what do you have to show for it in the end? Those of you who have been successful and have gained, what will you have in the end? You cannot guarantee that it will work. In fact, Solomon himself left his kingdom to Rehoboam. And what would his foolish son do but lose almost 80% of the kingdom? 80% of all that he had gained. All that he had profited is gone like that. And so despair sits in. Secondly, what hope is there in earning but not reaping? Think of it. You work and you work and you work, and just like Mr. Daniel in Mississippi, who work and work and work, but yet he did not reap the house, but for a few weeks. Yet he did not understand the the beauty of the house. And 
what it would mean. Someone who hasn't earned it is coming after me. You'll have to leave all of your success to them. Will they treat it with the value you gave it? Will they cherish it the way you did? Will they work to keep it and earn more as you have? And even more than that, not only did they not earn it, but you very well may have to leave your profit to someone who doesn't deserve it. Perhaps that's something we fear, isn't it? Perhaps that's why parents will do their best to raise their children to be at least similar to them or hopefully better than them. Because we're afraid. Those things that we've gained through our family lineage, those things that we've earned in our lives will be left for them and it will be gone and wasted. So we take time to teach and to instruct. But yet at the same time, we don't know. Wisdom or folly will be used. So there is despair because someone who doesn't deserve our success and deserve our profit may very well be the ones who receive it. So perhaps these three words, four technically, come to our mind. Life isn't fair. And that's what Solomon's saying. Life just isn't fair. It's not fair that I can work and earn this stuff and then it can be lost. It's not fair that I've done all of this work and all of this, this, this trouble and all the sweat and blood equity that I've put into this, but yet now it's going to go not to the one who is deserving, but to the one who is undeserving. What hope is there in this? Well, also verse 23 Notice what he says, for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Oh, you and I know what this is like. There are times where we've done as much work as we could that day, but then we went to bed and we could not sleep because the work was not completed. And he's saying all of our days are like that, not just one day, but all of our days. And so those of you who are in your retirement period, you understand. And I've heard many, many uh, a man say, oh, I wish I could go back to work so I could get some rest. Or a woman say that. Oh, I wish I could go back to work so I could get some rest from all these labors my spouse is giving me. But then you understand even in your retirement, that there is much more to deal with. There's still toil. Though you may not have to clock in and out any longer, there's still bills to pay. There's still grass to mow. There's still food to put on the table. There's still people to care for. There's still health to worry about and heirs to prepare. All the days are full of sorrow. And his work is a vexation. Now that word vexation is perhaps not a word you've used this week in a sentence. Perhaps one you've not used in the last year. But vexation here simply means frustration. In other words, all of our days are frustrating. Have you ever been frustrated? Have you ever been frustrated within the last 24 hours? Perhaps. 
frustrated. We understand what it is to be frustrated. That's what Solomon's experiencing. There's frustration in this life. There's frustration in this life apart from God. And it's as if now for a moment, before you find yourself in despair and before you find yourself understanding that your satisfaction is wavering, Solomon takes time to let us go away from life under the sun and to break through and to see what life is like above the sun. Notice verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, I want to pause there for a moment because we're quick to think of this verse and think of what Paul quotes in the New Testament, and he's quoting philosophers who are secular, okay? When he says, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow, you die. That's not what Solomon is saying here. Actually, Solomon is speaking now of life above the sun. He is speaking of a life with God because notice then he says, this also I saw is from the hand of God. Now, earlier he was against God for a moment because he thought that his troubles were from God. But now he's beginning to see that the way to enjoy work The way to enjoy pleasure, the way to enjoy wisdom is to understand where it comes from. And that's where we will end this morning to see that the one who who did everything he could to seize purpose, he had done so by seizing wisdom He had done so by seizing pleasure. He had done so by seizing success and seizing profit. Yet what Solomon and you and I need to learn, that his purpose is not seized, but it is received. Purpose is not something that you can chase after and grab a hold of because Solomon over and over again tells us that it is like chasing after the wind. Once you think you've caught up to it, it's gone. Rather, we understand that purpose is something that we receive from the hand of God. And that's why he goes on to say, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Solomon is pointing forward to the New Testament. He is pointing us forward to to something Paul would say, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, Do it for the glory of God. Solomon is beginning to show us what he learned, that everything he seized failed to bring him satisfaction. But when he understood that those things he had gained in life were not because of his sweat equity, but it was because the hand of God had given it to him, then he found purpose. Then he found meaning. Then he could find satisfaction. So we must learn to receive the gift of God. Here's the key to truly finding joy in life. To know where everything comes from. You're on that boat. You didn't get that boat. 
The Lord gave it to me. You have good health? The Lord gave it to you. You have success in business? The Lord brought it on. But the reverse is also true. It's an amazing thing. Because we read in the New Testament that all things, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So therefore, you have bad health. The Lord, the Lord is behind it. Now, wait a second. What are you saying? Well, I'm saying this, that even the bad things in life are for your good. Our brother comes in and he's had a tough time. And his wife has too. And what does he say? God is great. How can we say that? Because those things in life that we have are from the hand of God. And we understand that not life apart from God, but life in God, and in particular life in Christ, all things work together for good. Oh, That'll preach, which is a sermon too, part of it, right? But it will preach. For joy comes when we see where gain comes from, the hand of God. Now Solomon speaks of gain, I understand. But in the New Testament, we can move just from gain to also loss. That Job understood it too, didn't he? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We get both in life a world cursed by sin and a world being restored by a cross-bearing crucifixion and life-giving resurrection. That is true. So what Solomon has said about this meaninglessness is true. But what we understand the New Testament says about Christ and the cross is also true. So the result of the fall and we see the death of our loved ones and we see the loss of our goods and kindred But yet, we also understand that there is a restoration taking place. And so Solomon can embrace some of those things he had rejected for their failure to bring meaning to life, work and food and drink from the smallest to the greatest, anything and everything. And what makes the difference? God. God. Now, life apart from God is hell. But when we see that God is everywhere and on everything, we begin to truly live. Your labor apart from God is in vain. As an employee, apart from God, your labor is in vain. As a citizen, your labor is vain apart from God. And though we may not realize it, but anything that we do as a parent or a grandparent, apart from God, Our labor is vain. It's interesting to observe what people post on social media. Uh, Many of you may not have social media and you're better for it. But I see that it's easy to spot the world-centered approach to life rather than the God-centered approach. This is the way life is. It's much easier to live life under the sun. Why look up? Why look beyond? There's plenty to do here, isn't there? 
you see people posting and they're posting their struggles and they're posting their their battles and they're posting about how someone cut them off in traffic and they're posting about how someone was mean to them at the store and they're posting about why they were mistreated and how they were mistreated. And then they're posting about what they've gained and then someone stole it and we see all of these things happening in our lives. And a world-centered approach when considered all of those things as loss. But a God-centered approach understands that no matter what comes my way, God is great. No matter what comes my way, there's something more. There's more purpose. There's more meaning. There is actually not despair, but there's actually hope. And so Solomon was a man who had pursued meaning in a world-centered or even a man-centered life. Everything he did was for himself. He sought wisdom for himself. He sought pleasure for himself. He worked to profit for himself. And it's not until he glances past the sun and sees the hand of God behind all the things in his life that he begins to find purpose and meaning. Now, I want to tell you briefly about another man who worked. Yet his work wasn't toil. From the beginning, it had meaning and purpose. His work was indeed difficult. In fact, it was the most difficult work anyone in human history would face. Yet he did it with the fullness of joy and focused solely on the glory of God. And he did it willingly. He did not work focused on the world and what it offers. He worked as one who was completely centered on God. That man the God-man, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ came under the sun in order to make Solomon's gaze above the sun worthwhile. For if Christ does not come, Solomon's little ditty here, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Goes unanswered. But the Lord Jesus comes. And he comes to lift up our eyes as well so that we may see beyond this life under the sun so that we may see the Lord Jesus who did the hard work of salvation, the hard work of making sinful human beings reconciled to God who is holy, that only he could do it. And he said, it is, what did he say about his work? It is finished. It is finished. He's the only one who has finished his work and been truly satisfied. Even the scriptures tell us, the scriptures tell us that out of the anguish of his soul, he would see and be satisfied in his labors. For death would not separate from him, him from his accomplishments. He arose and his work continues. It continues through his church. It continues through you and through me. In fact, if you want to find strength for the work the Lord has given you in your homes, at your workplace, in recreation, or even through the church's ministry itself, you'll remember this work itself that he gives us is indeed a gift. You'll not begin to find meaning or purpose until you see that everything is a gift from the hand of God. And so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
God's gift leads us to glorify him. And it's then when we also begin to see that the work doesn't have to be vanity. Paul would say as well in the letters to the Corinthians, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I would say that many of you and many of those watching and many of those who are not watching have done much labor and have felt how vain it was and have felt a dissatisfaction in it all. And so what do we do? We understand that only the work that we do in the Lord is not vain. So we look to him and we say with Solomon that everything we have is from the hand of God. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ and we indeed thank you for your mercy and your kindness toward us in Christ. And as your people gathered here to worship you, we do so in spirit and in truth as we hear the word preached and we hear the word read and we receive it, Father, from your hand. Lord, it is so easy for us to think that we have acquired something, that we have worked and earned, and it is so part of our culture to be this way and to forget that everything we have is from your hand. So help us, Father, that when we do receive from you, that we would ask ourselves, what is it that you would have us do? Help us, Father, not to first think of how we can benefit from it ourselves. Help us to consider how you will use it for your glory and for the good of your people. Father, we need your help in this. For in our human nature, our sinful nature, we are prone to seeking pleasure in and of ourselves rather than seeking pleasure and fulfillment in you. Help us, O oh God, to find our joy in you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If God has used this message to influence you or you would like more information about our church, connect with us on the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Facebook page. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages from Pastor Kelly Baldridge.